I wonder what's your most pressing need right now? I bet if you've got a list, you've got a few things on it, but how would you prioritize those things in terms of things that you really need at this moment in time? What are the things that are filling your mind? What are the conversations that you have both inside your head with yourself and with other people? And we're looking at a letter today written by Peter, and Peter was no stranger to pressing need. He had once owned a fishing business when he was younger, and he knew what it was to have a fishing business where you didn't catch fish and the financial pressure that would have brought. He knew what it was to be forced into the front of a crowd of thousands of people and then be asked to speak, even though his background hadn't really trained him for that. Uh, he had once found himself in a deeply uncomfortable situation where he crossed a racial divide that nobody in his colleagues and generation had really done before. And he felt deeply uncomfortable emotionally. He'd once found himself being asked for some spare change by a beggar. And he didn't quite know what to do. He put his hands in his pocket and he found they were empty. He faced that pressure of meeting other people's needs and not being able to. I wonder what your need is today in these stress-inducing times. Maybe it's practical, just not enough hours in the day. Maybe it's relational. It's just so hard to make relationships work well in this season. Maybe it's personal, just a, a loss of confidence or struggles with personal health of some description. Well, these two verses we're going to look at today, I remember memorizing them as a young Christian, and I'm so, so glad I did. Because when I read them, I thought, these are good ones to remember. And perhaps you'll want to commit them to memory today as well, because it gives us the answer to the need that you've just expressed. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we're going to read. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Wow, well, what a statement. His divine power has given us everything we need. Everything. In answer to those things we were just thinking about or writing down a moment ago, his divine power has given us everything we need. I want us to unpack that together. Um, first of all, you'll, you'll see that verb in the middle, his divine power has given. Straight away, we're being drawn to, uh, our attention's being drawn to the fact that this is a gift from God, it's a grace from God, it's something he's giving freely to us. Uh, Luke began to unpack this last week, being equals around the table with people like Peter. We're all equal recipients of God's grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. We're all equals in his family. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been, I watch the news from time to time. Uh, it doesn't change much every day, so I don't watch it every day anymore. Uh, but every time I do watch the news, there's one of those graphs on it. It's the COVID graph, you know, the one that goes like that? And, uh, and it's tracking past history of cases up till today's date. And there's a psalm, Psalm 130, that says, Lord, if you kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Here's the amazing thing that's happened for you if you're a believer in Jesus today. 
If somebody was to try and track your past life, your past sin, your failure, your shame, those high points of guilt and fear and shame, God has lost the data. God has deliberately chosen to forgive all of our past with all of its shame. Now, this verse we're reading today, that's an amazing thing, but this verse today is going a step beyond that. It's saying this, that even in the now and even in the future, his divine power is everything we need. He's everything we need for the past, everything we need for now, and everything we need for the future. So we can have confidence. It says in Romans 8 verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things, everything, everything we need, promised to us, because Jesus has already done that so far in our lives, and he always will today and tomorrow. He's the gift that keeps on giving. So let's look at what this everything we need package consists of. And we find this pairing. It's divine power that comes with knowledge. Divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. Verse 3. Do you notice it's a word and spirit pairing? In fact, it's a spirit and word pairing, if we were to put them the correct way around in this particular verse. See, his divine power comes to us through a knowledge of him. We'll see what that last bit means in just a second. But let's think about the divine power. Before his ascension, Jesus had told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for power from on high, to be clothed with power. There was a point in Peter's life who wrote this where he wasn't clothed with power. In fact, do you remember him? In the Gospels, he was like, foot in your mouth, Peter. He was sit across the fire from Jesus and deny him, Peter. There was a moment when Peter wasn't clothed with power, and it showed from time to time. But there was a promise from Jesus in Acts 1 that the promise of the Father would come, and in Acts chapter 2, Peter and a whole room full of other people were filled with the power of God. And they were changed. Peter was transformed. Uh, in fact, we, we, we read about him. He's standing in front of the crowd. He's preaching to thousands. And then he starts talking about the Holy Spirit in that message that he's preaching. In verse 33 of Acts 2, he starts saying, well, Jesus is now exalted to the right hand of God. And he has now received the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. The Spirit was promised to Jesus. Jesus chose to pour it out on his church, and he still does. And then Peter went on, just in case there was any question that day, in case there was any spectators saying, wow, look at those guys. They seem to have the power of God in them. He said, well, this promise isn't just for me. He said, it's for you, and it's for your children. And it's for your children's children, for those who are far off, for as many as the Lord our God will call. Here's the wonderful thing about this divine power. It's not for an exclusive group. It's for you and it's for me. He got the power. They got the power. Just as I was mentioning there about uh, just for your children and your children's children, I, I, I felt like there's maybe an encouragement for parents and grandparents to be believing Jesus for his promise that he will, he will reveal himself to your kids and their kids and to take him at his word today. Perhaps that's for you.
So they got the power. Do you know in Acts chapter 8 there was a, a, a magician, a famous magician. His name was Simon the Sorcerer. And uh, he got wind that, in fact, people called him the Great Power. That was his nickname. And Paul started preaching and doing healings, and he was fascinated. In fact, he kind of became a Christian. He kind of didn't. Read the story for yourself. But he, he started following Paul around. He said, he said oh, this, this power is amazing. He had found a greater power than he'd ever seen. And then Peter and John, they started laying their hands on some new Christians and praying for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was at this moment that Simon, the magician, he, he said, uh, he, he said, may I have this power as well? Can I pay money? Can I pay you cash, Paul, for the power of God? And, you know, the big mistake he made was this. He thought you could buy the Holy Spirit. He thought you could buy the divine power. And Peter put him right. He said, no, no, this is a free gift. You know, you can never earn the divine power, the power of God. It's something freely given to us as a result of Jesus. Jesus paid the price for it on the cross so that we could receive it freely. Now, we can't lay hands on at the moment like Paul did in Acts chapter 8, but uh, I, I just know that we need to be filled with the power of God more in this season. And I just want to invite you, just as Matthew has uh, already, to to come along tonight to a Zoom meeting at six o'clock. If you just want to come and sit in the presence of God and just receive more of his power in your life, it's such an important thing to do. We're not going to be praying, praying, praying. We're going to be receiving from him. Perhaps that's a new thing to you. Well, come along. We won't, we'll just have maybe 45 minutes or so and we'll be receiving from God together. What does it look like when the power of God comes on us? Well, in the Bible, you read of a Gideon who became one of Israel's greatest leaders, even though he was a very weak character. You find Samson, who in his weakened state was able to pull the house down on the Philistines because of God's power. You find that Jesus, at his baptism, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit for the works of ministry that he would do. And then that same power... The Bible says it was at work in Jesus's body, according to Romans 1, to, to raise him from death, even when he was a corpse. That's what this power looks like. It can raise dead people. Now, if that wasn't enough, in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, you know that power that raised Jesus from the dead, that made a dead man alive? He says, well, I'm praying that power's at work in you. I'm praying that power's at work in you. The divine power at work in us, his incomparably great power for us who believe. So today, receive that power. Receive it. It's a free gift from God for you and for me. Now, it doesn't say that in isolation. It says through our knowledge of him, this divine power, through our knowledge of him. That's the package. So there's a word and spirit element. So the word element is this. It's through our knowledge this power isn't just a feeling, but it's rooted in deep experiential knowledge. Now, the false teachers of, uh, of Peter's day, they were called Gnostics. And uh, th that, that's a Greek word. It kind of means uh, secret knowledge. They, they have this idea that we have a secret. And if you're very spiritual, you can come into the secret. And uh, it was shrouded in mystery. They claimed that if you participated in this secret if you got to that kind of level then you participated in the divine now peter by contrast in this verse 
he claims that every believer has access to the knowledge. It's not a mystical knowledge, but a mystery made known in Christ for us to enjoy and for us to grow in. We, we want to grow. If we want to grow in experiencing his power, then we need to also grow in experiencing and believing his word. It's a strange time in a pandemic, isn't it? Especially when we're in this lockdown season at the moment. We were chatting as elders to Dave Holden, who inputs our team the other day. And uh, we were expressing some of the frustrations of church life. We just can't get on and do the stuff we'd love to do. And he just replied with wisdom. He said, you know, he says, for years, year after year, for decades, he said, every church leader has said to me, every elder has said, I just wish I had a bit more time to pray. I wish church life wasn't as busy and as demanding as it was so that we could pray and read the Bible more. And he was like, this is our season. If this is a less busy season for you, then perhaps it's an opportunity to dig into the knowledge of God. This is accessible. It's from the youngest to the oldest. Even a child can say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If we're still saying that a few decades down the line, and that's the only knowledge of God we have, then we haven't been growing in knowledge as God would want us to. There's so much more. The aim is to become, like Psalm 1 says, a tree planted by streams of water. Let's take this example that, that, that uh, is before us in 2 Peter verse 3. He says, who, Jesus, who has called us according to his own glory and goodness. There's two attributes of God there that can often sadly get polarised. If your pursuit of knowledge of God focuses only on one of those, we will end up with a skewed view of who God is. So we can love the goodness of God. I love the goodness of God and focus only on that attribute and we end up with a God who just seems to give out ice creams to everyone. Or if you're the other kind of person and you focus only on the glory of God, that reverencing him, his distance, his otherness, that word glory, it's a Greek word dox, it just means total otherness, holiness, the bit we can't comprehend about him. And if that's all you know about him, then you miss out on the uh, just the joy and the intimacy and the love of a father who loves and delights in his children and wants to be near us. These things have to be held in tension with each other and enjoyed together. Now, Peter enjoyed those things together. You know, when he was first called, he must have thought that when he wrote these words. It, it says that he, uh, he was going out fishing, he hadn't caught any fish, and Jesus said, let's go fishing again. And they ended up with this massive catch of fish. And as Peter was enjoying the goodness of God, all those fish, he was literally drowning in fish more than he'd ever had. He looked at Jesus and he was overcome by an entirely different emotion than goodness. And he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. See, he'd come in touch with the divine and he'd thought, I, I, I'm not worthy. I, I, he's too good for me. The goodness of God held alongside reverence and awe of him. God wants us to do both of those things. Let's look at this next verse here. Uh, it talks about the promises of God. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. I love his description, great and precious. God wants those same promises to be great and precious to you and to me as well. Now, promises, they're only as good as the person who makes them. 
I love this verse in Titus chapter 1. It says this, God who does not lie. This is what we know about the God who makes these promises. He doesn't lie. He never has. He's never spoken a word falsely. He's never spoken an untruth. He's never fibbed or bent things or skewed things in his favour. He has always told the truth and he has never lied. That's what makes these great and precious promises so exciting because they are totally believable and can be taken at face value. As believers, we're people of a long line of promised believers starting with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and you can track it right through the Bible. And we deal in the currency of believing promises. And if I was to ask the question, well, how do we actually know our sins are forgiven? The answer is this, because he promised. He promised that if we confess our sin, he'd be faithful and just and forgive us our sin. It's a promise that he will keep. If I was to say, well, how do I know that he will never leave me or forsake me? I'd say, well, because the Bible says, Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. How do we know that as we face the valley of the shadow of death in that future, or even in a current scenario for some of us, how do we know that we're just not going to lose everything and, and forget everything? Because he will be with us. He has promised it in his word. How do we know that our character is going to change into Christ-likeness, especially when we look in the mirror sometimes and we're disappointed with who we're looking at? Because he's promised. He's promised to make us like Jesus. He said, you shall be holy because I am holy. He's going to make us like him. How do we know that the mountain, whatever that is that we see in front of us, how do we know that we're going to have grace to climb it? he said my grace is sufficient for you it's a promise it's a promise that he'll keep because he's faithful to his promise god does not lie now as christians at the moment we may not be able to gather in our buildings our premises are unavailable but the promises of god are not unavailable his promises are there for us today we may not be sitting in the premises but we can stand on the promises and today as Christians, perhaps that's the season. That's the thing that God's teaching us in this season, that we can take him at his word, even when we find ourselves apart and in isolation and not gathering as we'd like to and as we should, that he can be trusted entirely. There's an invitation for us to go deeper into the promises of God and to discover more about this one who does not lie, who can be trusted with our very lives. We might not be able to plan very much at the moment but we can trust the promise and God is inviting us to do that but he says this other remarkable thing here he says he says that through these promises you may participate in the divine nature now what does that mean well we're running out of time so let me just say it simply and clearly it means this it doesn't mean that we become God but it does mean this that God comes and lives in us it says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So this is what it looks like to 
be a participant in the divine nature. It means this, to have God the Holy Spirit live inside you, to come him as a, have him come as a deposit and to just remind you constantly that God is faithful to his promises and to direct you to that glorious future when every promise will be fulfilled. He's the down payment. He's the deposit. He's what we need. Today, if you're watching this and you're not yet a Christian, here's the encouragement to you. If you ask Jesus to forgive your past, he definitely will because he's promised it. And if you ask him to come and fill your life with hope and future purpose, he will because he's promised it. He's the most faithful, reliable person you can ever meet. He's more faithful than anybody you know, and he will keep his promise. But for all of us today, there's, there's an application, which is this, to just make sure we're trusting him, looking to him for our future. He's more than able to fulfill his promise for us. And by the Holy Spirit filling us, he will help us to keep trusting him. Let's respond by singing of these promises that come to us through Christ in us, the hope of glory. And you know, God has never made a promise that is too good to be true. Every promise is reliable. Corrie Ten Boom said this. She said, let God's promise shine light on your problem. Whatever that thing was you were saying at the start of this message, there's an answer. It's the divine power of the knowledge of God that shines onto it. And here's what happens. He exposes the lies we've been believing that the enemy has been twisting. And he shows us that God can be trusted even in that situation. God bless.